Welcome to Give Him Hell Brigham. Jeff, at what age were you, did you have a moment where you were like, I think I'm becoming my parents? Uh, it became solidified when I became a parent and I started to say things like focus because that was like, my dad was always telling me to focus every time I didn't do something. And now I say that all the time to my kids. So it really became cemented when, when I became a parent, but I came home from my mission. I went to Madagascar, got super sick, lost a ton of weight, had all kinds of like worms and whatever gross. And I came home at like 150 pounds. Like I got down to like 130 at one point on my mission. Like I was tiny, like mm -hmm. super tiny. But I came home at like 150 pounds. And uh, that is not me today. Anybody who has seen me today knows that uh, 150 pounds, I think I weighed 150 pounds in like fourth grade. So it was once I, once I crossed the size 36 pants, I kind of realized, yeah, I'm, I'm becoming my dad. That's what's happening. And uh, it's been a downward trend since that day. Um, I think today, well, I have had kind of those things when it's like, yes, like the focus or um, I came real close to saying, oh, you're crying. I'll give you something to cry about the other day. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was, it was, I was real close. Um, but I kind of had one of those moments today when I was like, oh, I, uh, I just, I want to get a big handful of wheat thins to snack on. Like that's an old person. <laughs> I was like, I'm turning into my mom. Like that was like my, well, my dad was, my dad was very much a Triscuits person and my mom was yeah. a wheat thins person. And I'm a wheat thins person. Triscuits are, that's horse food, man. Like it, it's so you get, bad. you get three or four Triscuits in your mouth and it is like, you might as well just be eating styrofoam right out of a box. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, give me a big old handful of wheat thins. Cause that sounds good. And I was like, I am an old person. Yeah. Well, it happens to the best of us. Uh, wheat thins are good with easy cheese. Like yeah. I actually, I have to have that on tap. And have you seen your TikTok guy? Like yeah. You don't make TikToks, but you watch TikTok, right? Yes, correct. Have you seen the trend of apparently, and there has been like, have you seen the account party shirt that they just test TikTok trends to see if they're real or not? Yes. They tested this one and they said it's real. I haven't tried it yet myself. An Oreo with easy cheese on top of it supposedly tastes like cheesecake. Mm, I, I don't buy that one. It freaks me out. But those guys, like those guys are legit. Like they'll say when things are real and when they're not, that's how they, they have like 11 million followers now. And they've got it from debunking the stupid fake TikTok myths. It might be real. They were like shocked when they did it. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is cheesecake. So I've got to try that. And that is my, my early commission to all of our listeners. If you have easy cheese and you have Oreos, please try it and let us know. Uh, we need to do it this week, I think, Garrett, and report next week. Uh, I guess we can. I don't remember the last time I bought Easy Cheese, but... Well, if, if you're snacking on wheat thins, I mean, at minimum, buy some Easy Cheese and enhance oh, your well, I go, I go with sliced cheese and, like, some pepperoni or salami. I'm a fancier. Oh, man. You're way more ritzy than I am. Give me the, give me the cheap processed stuff. Oh, I don't buy Ritz. I'm not, I can't afford that. I get the great value round <laughs> butter crackers. So we are literally not Ritzy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you are getting older. I'm getting older. At least we're not as old as Ted Nugent. Dude, Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent is like, I don't even, 
that dude uh, did way too many drugs <laughs> back so in his day. Did you hear? I mean, he's pissed off this week, right? He had to cancel another tour because I don't know if it's the venues or if it was the band or whomever, but somebody in his party did not, uh, I, I guess, has canceled their annual activities so he cannot have the tour due to COVID. And he's pissed. He was so pissed that he did what any self-respecting American does now. He took to Facebook to tell the world how pissed off he was. And he went, he did a Facebook Live, and he was just living that the country has shut down because of COVID-19. If you don't know the political leanings of Ted Nugent, just take most of the right-wing storylines and the QAnon conspiracy theories and all of that. And that's Ted Nugent. That, that's who he is. Yeah. And he was super pissed. COVID-19 been shut down. He wants to know why. Like, what the hell's the difference with COVID-19? Why didn't we shut down for COVID-1 or COVID-2 or any COVID-1 through 18? What is so special about COVID-19 that this is the one we're shutting down for? He, he doesn't realize that that's the year. No, he's got zero clue, and he is pissed off about why we didn't shut down for COVID-16. We got through COVID-16 just fine. Why is COVID-19 any different? <laughs> this can't be real. Oh, it's real. So, so I included a link to the first article that I read. It was on, I can't remember what the, the name of the subreddit is, but it's like stupid news of the day. And it was there. And it's so it's from some like blog, blabbermouth. And I was like, there's no way this is real. And then I pulled it up and even Snopes, Snopes did an official fact check and verified that yes brother nugent did say this in his facebook live that he is upset and he's wondering why covid 1 through 18 is different than covid 19 my gosh if we've offended any of you listeners because you too were wondering why we didn't shut down for covid's 1 through 18 uh i think i'm not going to apologize this is on you at this point you probably just do yourself a favor just close out of your app now and maybe don't come back because I, this is not the podcast for you if you're mad about COVID-6 and COVID-19. You know, like if you're mad about COVID-19 and shutdowns, we, we get it. We can relate to that. Uh, if you're mad about the shutdowns because we didn't shut down for COVID-9, no, no, this is not the podcast for you. It is definitely not. I cannot. Oh, my gosh, that is hilarious unbelievable it really is um that is one of the funniest things i think i've ever heard uh (laughs) we do have other breaking news besides the fact that ted nugent is a well blabbermouth.net is actually the url where you posted that it's a very good app description he belongs there um mark pope is not leaving yeah that's great you know great and conceivably gonzaga is getting worse Right. Because uh, what's his first name? Lloyd is his last name. I can't remember his first name, but Coach Lloyd is leaving. He's been an assistant at Gonzaga for like 20 years and was instrumental in, I want to say Graham. Is it Graham Lloyd? This is going to bother me. Uh, let's see. He, anyway, he, he was instrumental in uh, Tommy Lloyd. Tommy Lloyd. Graham Lloyd. Who is Graham Lloyd? Uh, he's instrumental in the, the international pipeline to Gonzaga. Graham Lloyd is a 
baseball player that played for the nope nope not a baseball player he's a cricket player that played for england in the mid 90s so pretty much the same uh no no tommy lloyd he instrumental in building the international pipeline to gonzaga uh so theoretically with him gone maybe that takes a hit and gonzaga takes a step backwards but my question for you do we want gonzaga to take a step backwards yes it would be great if byu could win the wcc but BYU's biggest resume booster was losing to number one Gonzaga this year. So yeah. is it actually beneficial if Gonzaga takes a step back? Mm, I mean, maybe like one step back, but not like 12 step backs. Yeah. You know, like they can't, they can't be St. Mary's. Like if they go down to that, that level, that's not good. No, it's they've got to be, be like a top 15 team. I think. Yeah, I think so too. But Mark Pope is staying. You're right. That's great. You know, for all of the the hullabaloo about uh, Mark Pope potentially leaving, I never saw that his name was like seriously linked. I saw a lot of journalists say that, hey, he'd be great at coach, you know, job A, job B, job C. I never saw his name seriously linked to any of those jobs. And that should be encouraging for BYU fans. Like to me, he was clearly on people's shortlist, but it didn't look like he even really entertained it. You never got any, you know, like he never, uh, there the was only any rumors, nothing. Thing, the only thing that came out of it was that like he, apparently they had a phone call yesterday. So that was the only thing that was reported yeah. was, and he probably was like, you know, they, are you interested? Yes. Maybe. I don't know. Like let's talk, right? Like if, if you get a, if a legitimate recruiter from or some other company says, Hey, are you interested? You talk for 30 minutes and be like, Yeah, this isn't going to go anywhere. Thanks for, yeah, I mean, I'll catch for, up with you later. Right. Like, it's, right. there's still, for all we know, moment. he accidentally answered the phone. Like, right. that phone call could be anything. He right? probably thought it was about extending his vehicle's warranty. <laughs> That's probably what he thought it was. So he answered the phone. So Mark Pope is staying. That's great news. It really is. And another BYU non-football news or uh, news tomorrow the uh and well tonight the ncaa women's volleyball tournament starts which i don't know did you see anything of the news of how stupid the ncaa is uh no you mentioned you mentioned that it was a cluster but i so the i mean volleyball women's volleyball is a rather large sport right like i mean it's got a decent following i pretty much every division one school in the country sponsors women's volleyball and the um, they stuck, they're doing the bubble thing, similar like how they did for the men's and women's basketball tournaments, whatever. They put all of them in like a conference center hotel. And they said that they were not going to broadcast. ESPN said they were not going to broadcast the first two rounds with any announcers or production. They were just going to have a single camera pointed at the court and put it on ESPN three. And then actually might be kind of nice. Like I get the discrimination, but I kind of might enjoy that. Oh, but yeah, they said until you make it to the elite eight, there will be no locker rooms. The girls just need to change on the side of the courts and they were jo- going to be playing it. They were going to lay down a floor on top of carpet, like inside of a convention center and just in one big like banquet hall, put four courts down and just have a bunch of people playing at once for the friggin' NCAA championship. Like this is not a junior high club tournament. You know, that's no good. That's and so after a bunch of people complained, they were like, Oh, ESPN was like, Oh, we are going to broadcast like the some of the higher seated 
games and then we are going to actually give them somewhere to you know play yeah. and, do it. and so i think they ended up moving some to high schools and like you know there were a couple of high school coaches because it's like omaha is hosting it so a bunch of like high schools and like um creighton and stuff where like you can use our facilities like we have locker rooms like you put it in our gym like we've broadcast stuff before whatever like you know we can kind of do it but it was the end it just shows again how inept the ncaa is oh the ncaa sucks we all know that uh i i hate the hypocrisy of espn frankly that espn you know they will be the first ones to tell everybody how to live their life and what to believe but when it actually comes to time for them to put their money where their mouth is, they fail every time until there's political outcry, right? Like they, they're the first one to say that, hey, equal wage and discrimination and support women and blah, 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 blah. But when an opportunity comes up with women's volleyball that they can, hey, maybe you have to operate at a loss, but you're going to be equal, right? They cower and hide until the public realizes what they're doing and says, hey, what the hell, ESPN? This is not what we said you were going to do. Right. And then they go, well, actually, we've had this plan all along, and it's garbage. And so I, I get annoyed. I don't care what anybody believes or any company believes politically. I really don't care. I hate the hypocrisy. Like, just be who you are and don't apologize for it. It irritates me. Really, you know that. Yes, it is irritating. And uh, so tomorrow, BYU is playing. Um, there, tonight is the opening round, and UCLA is playing a school called Ryder University. I've never heard wow. of Ryder University, but they powerhouse. are powerhouse. Yes, they are a powerhouse and are a member of the um, not the MAC, but the MAC with two A's. Ah, the mid they're a member of the mid-atlantic athletic conference and they are playing the ucla bruins and then byu will play the winner of that game so like that i do not like that one bit don't like that the lady cougs are a four seed um well the equivalent of a four seed because volleyball is weird they do like you know in basketball how they do like the number one overall seed and there's like yeah. there's four one seeds but then the regions are like ordered of like this is the best region like you know like this yep. is the top of the two whatever in volleyball they just number them around so it's like there's one one seed and that's the top team in that region then there's a the two seed is the top team in the next region then the three seed and the four seed. i, I kind of like that better yeah, and so they do that all the way around, and so the Cougs are the 16 seed, so that is they are the lowest okay. four seed in the tournament. Okay. So um, a little bit of a down year for them from what they've had recently, but it is yeah. you know still a good shot. And so that game will be on tomorrow um, at 7:30 p.m. Uh, let me see what time zone to do, do, do if you are listening to this. Hopefully, I mean. It's kind of weird that they are so low. They must have not played a ton of people because they are 16 and one on the season. So I understand volleyball. Like I know that volleyball, my voice just cracked there. Did you hear that? Uh, that was, a little bit. Um, oof, yes. That was so like puberty. On ESPN 3, 730 Mountain tomorrow, uh, they will be playing the winner of Ryder or UCLA at 730 Mountain on ESPN 3 tomorrow. You can tune in. I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't personally get into volleyball. Like, I know that people do, and that's great. 
I've never found it entertaining, even when I'm there and I've been to a game. I know that's everybody says, Oh, you got to go to the game. I've been, I just don't find it entertaining. It's kind of fun to play, but uh, anyway, so I don't get it, but best of luck to the Cougs. I hope they do well and they avenge the men's basketball team by beating UCLA. I mean, I'm assuming UCLA gets past Ryder, but that's a, an assumption. I have no idea who Ryder is. They might be Gonzaga for all I know. I have no clue. But hopefully BYU gets a chance to uh, avenge the basketball team. Yeah, and I hope they beat UCLA in three straight sets, like 25 to zero on all of them. Yeah, yeah. And send the Bruins back to where they belong. Um, One other non, you know, outside, well, it is sports related. You're a big Braves guy. I'm a big Angels guy. You're a National League person. Mm -hmm. I'm an American League person. A little bit of a yin and yang going here. The, yeah. uh, I know how passionate are you about the DH rule? Cause there are some national league people and I mean, I couldn't really care less like one way or the other, like, but there are some national league people who are very adamant about the DH. Like it's one of those things where people who like national league teams are adamant about the DH being stupid, but people who are American league fans are kind of like, yeah, I prefer the DH, but like, it's not the end of the world. I was pretty against it up until last year when we all got to see it and it was all equal and i i didn't love it still i mean i i I guess i'm indifferent now compared to where i was i really don't care either way anymore uh what i liked about it is i did like that it was all equal footing like it's always been funny when you get to the world series and you have a dh at the al team's games and you don't when you go to the nl team state i think that's a little weird uh so i appreciated that it was all equal footing and teams could construct their roster in that way and obviously i think the product is better i enjoy watching hitters hit but i did miss some of the bunting and double switches and things like that uh i felt like that like the manager really gets to have an influence uh, you know, like a basketball coach, football coach, they call the plays, right? And and right. they have an influence in the game. Uh, baseball's not really that way, right? Like catchers call most of the pitches, pitchers call their pitches. It's just like the manager comes up, he fills out the lineup card and outside of bringing in a reliever when he's supposed to, uh, that's kind of all that he does in game. And so I like that aspect of it, that the coach actually gets to be a coach and there's some strategy there. Uh, so for that reason, I would prefer no DH, but the actual like watching baseball and seeing good hitters hit instead of a pitcher walk up there and take three straight strikes. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. I mean, unless that pitcher's name is Shohei Otani, then, you know. Yeah, that's true. You're just batting every day. Give uh, me a qu- Let me ask you this, because I don't know. In the current AL rules, so Shohei Otani, he's pitching, right? Let's say he's pitching. Yep. He can obviously hit. Can they insert a DH for a position player? No. So you can only have a DH for a pitcher. And if you elect not to use a DH at the start of the game, you cannot have it. You basically, your team is set to like NL rules. So you got to deal or, uh, you know, and so actually it's like, you have to deal with, actually, it's not even set to NL rules. It's like you yeah, it's like you have to deal with like pinch hitting and whatever and avoiding. So it's it's basically, yeah, it's like you're playing yeah. at the start of the game, you're playing AO rules or NL rules and you set it for the game. But the Atlantic League, which is the, well, it's like the Atlantic and the Frontier League are the two biggest of the independent baseball yep. leagues. And they are, yep. 
the Atlantic League has an agreement with the MLB as a partner league. And so I don't know what that means. They get like some marketing money or whatever. There's like a certain pathway where if someone does really good, the MLB can like buy their con like buy out their contract, whatever. Um, but they test new rules there. So they're testing two rules. One, they're moving the rubber back a foot to try to add it, which it's the first time that the rubber has been moved since the 1890s when they moved it back five feet, which is like, that seems so much to me. And then- Can you imagine like, uh, what's his name? Jordan Hicks that throws like 103, yeah. five feet closer. Dude, like Araldus Chapman. Like, oh, it's, it's insanity. Um, but they are testing a new DH where you have a DH- so basically what you were kind of similarly saying is you have a DH for the starting pitcher. And when you pull the starter, then your DH goes away and you have to deal with, so you get the, you know, if your starter has a good game, goes well into seventh, eighth inning, whatever, like you are, there's some incentive to leave the starter in rather than yanking them early. Cause once you yank them early, once they're out, then you can still get into the strategy of it. And I, I kind of sounded weird at first and I was kind of, confused because they're calling it a double hook which really it's when i was like what the hell does that mean but really it's just there when you substitute one you substitute the dh as well and because you know then you have to go back to doing it but the more i think about it the more i like it as a happy middle ground of for the bulk of the game you're going to get a decent hitter in there but as soon as you start pulling now you have to get a little more strategy involved and especially now since like you can't like you can't have a loogie anymore really because You've, you have to face three batters or go to the end of an inning. So it's like right. there's less strategy involved with pitching that way. I think I like it. I, what you just said. So we, we talked about this prior to the show and I told you that I hated it and I did. But the one thing you just said that I think I might've changed my mind on the spot is the incentive to leave a starting pitcher in longer because you can have a better hitter or not burn through your bench players. I like that a lot. Because I do miss the days. Like, well, I can appreciate relievers that throw, you know, 100 plus. I, I miss the days of, uh, you know, guys, right? You know, you, you'd hope to get seven, eight innings out of your starter every night, turn it over to a setup man and a closer. And you really didn't want to touch the middle of that bullpen, right? Right. I, I miss those days. So, an incentive to make your starter more than just a five inning guy, I like. So, I think for that reason, I think I can get on board with this. What I do not like, or I'm kind of iffy about it, is it does kind of kill the recent trend of having an opener. <laughs> I which I, trend. I'm mean, not a fan. I'm not a fan of that trend. I thought That's it was a, fun just because it's a little something different. Well, yeah, but I'm not a fan because of exactly what we're talking about here. That I, I want my starter to go seven, eight innings. And I want my starter when he sucks. Like I remember, you know, I bought, I was a Braves fan and I remember watching the Braves and you'd hope to get six, seven innings out of Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox every night. But it was those nights that like somebody just didn't have it and they had to pull the starter in like the third inning. And not only did it screw up that game, but they invested more in their bench and less in their bullpen back then. So you kind of screwed up the bullpen for the rest of the series. And it made like the entire series different. But things yeah. like openers and big, long bullpens, it kind of takes away some of that. And I, I, yeah. I wish we had that back. Like, give it, it's a bygone era of like, you know, 20 or not 20, like the 
a hundred years ago where you, the bullpens didn't exist. And he's like, you know, you had pitchers yeah. up there playing. It's like, oh, I'm starting 300 other... pitches. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm putting up 500 innings a season or a thousand yeah. innings a season because I've, you know, played in the Pacific Coast League when they were trying to become the third major league in the 40s and 50s. And we're playing, I think the peak, the uh, PCL may rest in peace um, as it is no longer with us. They Sad. are, uh, they, I think they peaked out at like 190 something games in the season. I love it. And so I miss the old thing. And which I mean, yes. And I don't, I don't, I know a lot of people are against this, but I'm very much on board with the new changes that they made to minor league baseball of streamlining everything of just having like, there's four levels. Each team gets one team at four levels and it is done very geographically to try to save on money. And like, I'm sorry, we don't need the, some of these teams having three rookie clubs spread across different leagues. And yeah. it's like they're getting 200 people a game and they're like, it's, it's, they perform worse in their financials had they not been bailed out by having a major league club pay all the salaries are worse than independent ball. Like we don't need to like kill, like, sorry, the Orm Owls, like it was not a good product. Like <laughs> no, it was bad, and, and and outside of the nostalgia of like going to the ballpark, like everything about the Orioles sucked, and that's gonna be a hot take because I I do I enjoy going to Lindquist Field to watch the Ogden Raptors, and we still will get to do that, but it's not like you're going to watch high quality baseball. Like you could really kind of go like occasionally, like Cody Bellinger, he played for the Raptors, so there's there's a few players every year that are you know, names to pay attention to, but by and large, like you go to the high school state championship and you're going to see very similar yeah. caliber baseball. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it's time to talk football that much. I do know. And I, I want to start. It's the off season. So outside the off season outside of Mark Pope is not leaving. And there's some transfers who are going to make their decision uh this week tomorrow mike sanders uh mike saunders excuse me mike saunders makes his decision tomorrow there's just not a lot of news i have this is real-time news i haven't even had a chance to verify any of this but it sounds like uh tomorrow we're gonna hear alex barcelo declare for the draft but not hire an agent therefore so he's kicking the tire kicking the tires like he should like, frankly, every player on the roster should. If Caleb Bloner isn't doing that, that'd be stupid, right? Like, everybody should. And then come back and be late. That's, I think, what we'll hear. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I don't, I'm not normally the breaking news kind of guy, but I figure putting it on the podcast, we're not even going to tease it. If you're listening to us at this point, there's a little morsel of a nugget that you get to know now, assuming you are listening to this before that announcement comes out. And assuming it's true, I haven't verified it. I'm just taking unmitigated rumors from my reliable sources and passing them along to the airwaves of Give Em Hell Brick em in real time. So kind of fun. But other than that, there's not much to talk about, man. Like, there's nothing. So we're going to do the GOAT series. The GOAT series. And we'll, we'll probably come up with different variations of this over the course of the offseason. But today is very simple the all-time best players at each offensive position. You and I are each going to come up with our one. It might be the same one. It might be a different one. Yes, this we're is gonna, not a draft. Right, not a draft. We're each going to come up with our one player, and then we're going to look at, at who is the GOAT and who was the best team. But 
Before we get into the GOAT series, I do want to talk about uh, a mock draft that came out by the, that was the Athletic today. And there were five Cougars who were taken. And there's a lot of mock drafts. We don't talk about them very much. I don't really care typically. But this one is kind of cool. With the second pick, Zach Wilson to the Jets. With the second pick in the third round, Brady Christensen to the Jets. Uh, with the number 200, the 203rd overall pick, Tonga to the Texans, pick 219, Bushman to the Falcons, pick 229, Dax Milne to the Jets. I know that we're all a little apprehensive about becoming Jets fans, but if they draft three Cougars, we have to put a Jets flag at LES, right? Yeah. Like we have to. Yeah. There's no so, other choice. So, Go find the athletic articles, subscribe, whatever. That's the only thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, according to this mock draft, and frankly, when you get into like rounds four, five, six, seven of, of a mock draft, I'm not sure that these authors are really even paying attention to who was drafted previously. Like you're just filling it out and putting names in places because who knows? Oh, yes, definitely. They don't like it's, I mean, why would you? There's just too much yeah, to do. There's just too much. And it's such a crapshoot. But uh, how cool would that be if there were three BYU players drafted by one NFL team? I think that'd be awesome. I, I don't know. I'd have to look to see when that ever, when last time that happened was. I can't imagine that it's happened very often. I mean, even a team like Alabama, right? Like, let's say they get 12 guys drafted and six of them go in the first round. The odds seem small. You're an, an analytics and a data guy. The odds of, okay, there are 32 teams, 260 some odd picks after compensatory picks and all that stuff. The odds that out of the 130 colleges that potentially could have players in the draft, three of them go to the same. It seems small. It seems very small. Yeah. I mean, we could really, I mean, we could figure it out. I could, I, I'll do it tonight and post about it. It's, I just got to, as long as I get a list, I just got to find a list of every draft pick ever, which shouldn't be too hard to do. Okay, well, but, until then, then, let's move to the GOAT series. The GOAT series. Who quarterback? Our nominees are Ty Detmer, Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Max Hall, or Zach Wilson. Now, there's going to be some de debate about our nominees. And right? there's going to be some recency bias because that's a part of life. Well, that was part of why I wanted to put Zach Wilson there was more because of the how does he really stack up to some of the guys that are bona fide legends. I mean, Zach Wilson's um, about to become the highest drafted BYU Cougar of all time. So right. I mean, I think he has a legitimate a, case. That makes you a bona fide legend. Yeah, for sure. So, but I mean, we're, we're, we left guys off. John Beck, not there. Steve Sarkeesian, not there. Mark Wilson, you know, uh, Gifford Nielsen. Like none of these guys are there. Gary Shidey. There's some studs uh, who, who are not there. John Walsh is not there. John Walsh is an overlooked great BYU quarterback, just for what it's worth. So we settled on these five, Detmer, McMahon, Young, Max Hall, Zach Wilson. Um, I mean, my answer is going to be McMahon, but I am really, 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 really tempted to take Max Hall simply because he, the dude wins games. Like he was a gamer and Mac won a lot of games. Steve Young won a lot of games. Ty Detmer didn't win as many games, but he had some big wins. But Max Hall won more games than anybody. And part of that is a product that they played more games than anybody. That helps. 
but Max Hall just won and he did it immediately. So I'm really, really tempted to take Max Hall, but I am ultimately going to go with Jim McMahon. I think Jim McMahon, uh, hardware notwithstanding, is the best quarterback to ever play at BYU. You know, I I think I probably agree uh, with that with Jim McMahon. Um, there's, yeah, like I think I definitely have to agree with Jim McMahon being the best quarterback of all time. I mean, you look at how he revolutionized the game and how many NCAA records he set. And some of those, it's like, you look back and it like looks so ugly. A lot of that is just like, you know, the era, right? Like yeah. some of that you yeah. have to be like, you also have to look through the lens of like, okay. You know, things like, you know, comparing his ugly drop back to, you know, how, guy just the game changes right like it went from you right. got to drop back this way just kind of like run backwards to oh you have to be a very formulaic and how you do things to now it's like oh it's you know everyone wants to be like patrick mahomes and off base and off platform is the big buzzword around quarterback play so i think you know putting that in you know into a modern era with modern coaching and things um he had a cannon right and, and that's he had a makes- cannon and i've i just I, you look at what he did and it's like he broke literally every single record there was to break all of them ever yeah. with one eye so right. like it's i don't think you can you know i and think off it, the field like he wasn't the typical byu guy i mean we all know that we're not i don't care but i i like that byu's on my goat team there's some representation for from non-traditional byu guys and i like that that's important to me. Yeah. So, no, so I'm with you. Jim McMahon, I think is my pick. Uh, a lot of people would go with Ty Detmer. You know, when you watch Ty Detmer highlight, like it's fun as hell to watch Ty Detmer highlights because they won a lot of games, but Ty was a really smart guy who could put the ball in the right spot and put up crazy yards in great offenses. Yeah. I, I, I just, I don't know, man. Like it, it, I was like two years old when, when he was ha- in his heyday. Right. Uh, I was born in 1989. So I don't have the nostalgia for Ty Detmer that a lot of people do. And so when I go back and I watch Ty play, I don't know, man, like I, I'm just not as impressed. Yeah. Maybe I, that's crazy, but I'm just not. This is also going to sound blasphemous, but so Ty Detmer won the Heisman trophy. You know who else won a Heisman Trophy? Troy Smith at Ohio State. Like it's not, and I'm not comparing Troy type, but it's like, you know, you get a good system in place. You get guys around you, favorable schedule. You can do some things. You get drafted. You put up crazy numbers. You put up some crazy numbers, get drafted in the late round. You be very efficient, like work through things. And, you know, then you get to where you get. And it's, but yes, (laughs) I, I would take, honestly, of, I would take, if I were to rank the rest of these, and we're not going to do the whole ranking because we have too many positions to go through in the offense, but Jim McMahon first, Zach Wilson second, Steve Young third, Max Hall fourth, and I probably put Ty Detmer fifth on my list of these five. See, and I, I think I'm there. I mean, it's like I say, I, I'm really tempted to take Max Hall, but it's just because of winning. But if you're just talking quarterbacking, it's really hard for me to disagree with your list. I might flip Zach and Steve, but it's hard for me to know how much of that is influenced by what Steve Young did in the NFL. Uh, but yes, I mean, I, the, I, I agree. I think that I put Ty Detmer at five and people are going to tell us that we're young and that we're stupid and that we don't know anything. He can be your favorite player. 
Like he can be your number one all-time BYU legend. That's fine. I just don't think he was the number one all-time BYU quarterback. And I don't think he was the number two or three or four. I think we're right there at five. And I can say this as we move to the running backs, I, I can relate to the nostalgia, right? Uh, running backs, Luke Staley is going to be my guy. I love Luke Staley. He is the player who made me a BYU fan. But if I really, if I, if I try to take my fan hat off, is Luke Staley the running back that you want to ride with out of Luke Staley, Harvey Younga, Curtis Brown, Jamal Williams, and Jamal Willis? Mm, probably not because he's probably going to be on the sideline most of the time. He's probably going to be on the sideline. I love Harvey Younga as a pass catcher, as a pass blocker. Uh, Harvey Younga could do it all. Like Luke Staley was a phenomenal runner, and he could catch. Like There's no question. He was a, a threat out of the backfield. But I want somebody who could protect my quarterback as well. I don't know that I want Luke Staley, right? I mean, like, there's a there's a real debate that should be had here. Jamal Willis was phenomenal, right? And he stuck in the NFL because of how good he was. Jamal Williams, all-time BYU leading rusher, super fun on and off the field, is sticking around in the NFL because of how great of a pass blocker he is. He gets enough yards, runs super hard. Curtis Brown was just uber effective. Like he was, and you look at the era and the time that Curtis Brown kind of emerged into the Curtis Brown, the legend, right? It was a desperate time for BYU football. And as much credit as we give John Beck and Bronco Mendenhall for bringing BYU football back out of the Gary Croton years into something that was respectable, Curtis Brown is right there every step of the way. He deserves as much credit as any of those guys. Yeah. And he really paved the way with how the running back position was used for Harvey Unga. Um, Honestly, if I'm going here, I probably, I'm probably taking Harvey just because I what he brought as a pass catcher out of the backfield, just is what ultimately sets him apart from the rest, right? Like, and it's I think he was more athletic. He was just more talented. He was a little faster than Curtis Brown was at a bigger size. Um, he wasn't as obviously nearly as fast as Luke or Jamal or other Jamal, um, but the uh, but just his pass catching ability and what he could do at his size to just be bruising is what sets him apart for me. I'm going to take Luke Staley because nostalgia ultimately wins out for me because he was just so elite, man. So fun to watch. He's probably going to get hurt and that sucks. Uh, I, you know, quarterback is probably going to get hit uh, because it's up to my offensive line. That's it. It's all we got. But, man, he was just so fun to watch. I'm with you on Unga, though. Like, Unga is probably my pick. Uh, Jamal Williams is a really underrated name, though. You know, like, when, when you look at what Jamal Willis did at BYU and the era that he was in, like, he came in at the peak of Lavelle Edwards and Norm Chow throwing the ball all around, and he put up crazy numbers. Yeah. Like Jamal, Jamal Willis is – he's vastly underrated in the aura or the, the, the legends of BYU football. Yeah, uh, it's this one was hard. Um, so right now we both got McMahon. You have Luke Staley. I've got Harvey Unga. Moving on to receiver, Cody Hoffman, Austin Colley, Margin Hooks, Eric Drage, Matt Bellini. This one is tough. It's tough. And it is all, tough. Really, it, it, you go with all any of those guys, you're going to be fine. I am, and I think a lot of them are. It's like a, almost like 
you know, a little forgotten, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. and you know, this is when we're talking about like, oh, Ty Detmer had great receivers, right? Like it's, you know, without Eric Drage, Ty Detmer, like he ain't winning the Heisman, right? And it's, yep. and, and so it's what he did at the time. And then, uh, you know, it's, and Bellini is also extremely underrated. And there was, I mean, they played in overlapped as well, but still it's, I've got to go with Austin Colley. Like you've watched him from day one, like the very first game against Notre Dame, his freshman season, you knew that he was legit. And then he comes back. He has a good year as a sophomore, his junior year, he comes back and he leads the nation in rushing goes pro. He is having a very great NFL career until concussions completely derailed it. But I think Austin Colley is the best receiver in BYU history and it's not close. And like, yes, uh, you know, um, Dennis Pitta broke his receiving record and then Cody Hoffman broke it again. If Hoffman or if he had stayed another year, it wouldn't be close. And I don't know if his receiving record would be touched for a long, long time. I agree. I'm not going to select Austin Colley. I want a receiver. Austin Colley can go and make just about any play. Like, he's great. I want somebody who I, who can do, I don't know, like Colley was always a deep threat, right? Like, he always was that outside guy. He got to the NFL and he played a lot of the inside receiver stuff. And so maybe I, maybe I need to give him more credit there. I want somebody who can do everything. And I want somebody who I feel like his game can last through different eras of BYU football. I'm selecting margin hooks for my goat team. Margin hooks go back to when margin hooks was playing at BYU, right? He played at BYU in like 2000, 96 to 2000. Yeah. And and so he registered in 96, 97 to 2000. And so think of the quarterbacks that he had. He didn't have great quarterback play. Played with Kevin Federick for most of his BYU career, which Federick was fine, but he wasn't Max Hall. You know, right. he didn't have he didn't have Max Hall throwing him the ball like Colley did. And Margin Hooks made it to the NFL, stuck around for a little while. Uh, he put up crazy numbers in 1999. Had more than 1,100 yards. Uh, I, I just like his game. And what I really like about his game is he's gone into coaching and he's coached some absolute legends. Now you don't get credit as a player for what you've done as a coach, but what he has proven is that the guy can adapt throughout different eras of football. He is not training his guys like Charleston Rambo in 2020 to do what he did when he was playing in 1999. He is training guys based on today's era of college football. He's adapted his style, his play. I think margin hooks, if he had the benefit of playing in the offense that Austin Colley played in and playing it with the quarterback that Austin Colley had, I think margin hooks puts up better numbers than Austin Colley did. I think pound for pound margin hooks was a better wide receiver. Now I think Austin Colley's great. I think Austin Colley is the best. Like at the end of the day, you have to look at production. You look at stats. You look at what they did and facts matter, right? Like Colley played with Hall, played in that offense. Hooks didn't. And when you compare the two and what they did on paper, it's not close. It's Colley. If you give Hooks 
And I'm a recruiting guy. I try to look at players in high school and you project how they might fit into a different offense. If you look at hooks and the way he played, I firmly believe that if you put him in that Robert and I offense with Max Hall throwing him the ball, he goes down as the unquestioned best wide receiver to ever play at BYU. Okay. I can, I can give you that. I think not, you know, we're talking about recency bias. I don't think there's recency bias from playing time, but I think what he's done off the field as a coach, but I don't, I don't think that's, you know, ridiculous. Uh, actually the most ridiculous thing of what you said is when you mentioned Kevin Federick and I was reminded that Kevin Federick's dad bought a CFL franchise. So that way Kevin Federick could be a professional football player and the head coach of that franchise, who's Wally Bonner who's probably the best head coach in the history of the CFL, uh, resigned because he was like, I'm not going to start your kid because he's not as good as the other quarterback. Um, I did not know that. That's, That's crazy. So there's but a fact I- that you get. As we talk about Kevin Federick, has anybody ever told you that you kind of look like Kevin Federick? Uh, no, I've never heard that. Let me. Why don't you pull up an image of old Kevin Federick here? Uh, it's a stretch, but maybe I could see it a little bit. Ooh, you think it's a stretch? Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, yeah, a little bit. I think if you shave uh, here, let, let's, let me find you one here. Uh, there's a picture. Let me send you the link. How do I get here? Um, there's a picture that criddle i'm gonna oh i'm not even on my i have to i have to send it to your twitter okay we can there's i'll i will look more into more pictures of kevin federick and wait and everybody else please look at more pictures of kevin federick and then look at some pictures of garrett and tell me that you don't see it because i see it you know it's not like gordon ramsay and the wichita state mascot i can tell you it's not that close it's very (laughs) big it's not Uh, that close Okay, tight ends. Now, this is a this is a tough one. This is a real tough one. Dennis. This Pitta, is a tough one to even come up with five names. Byron Rex, Gordon Hudson, Chris Smith, Clay Brown. Not to come up with five names, but to limit it to five names. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like so, Johnny and, Harleen got left off. Etua Mealy got left off. Yeah, it's this one. I think Chad Lewis got left off. I mean, Gordon Hudson is he's not in a good place right now. If you Google him, he comes up with a mugshot from when he was arrested. But really, Gordon Hudson, like he not only, well, I mean, he was with McMahon, Steve Young. Like he changed the way the tight end position, like what McMahon was was to the quarterback position, Gordon Hudson was to the tight end position. He was unbelievable. In college football. And, and it's and even too, I mean, like Clay Brown was also, I mean, they overlapped a bit. And, um, you know, obviously – but he, and I guess really those Clay Brown's senior season with McMahon is like really what set it off. Cause he had like that first, like the thousand yard season, but this is, this one is tough. Cause, and it's not like Byron Rex was no slouch. He was an all American. Right. And so it's, and obviously, and he brought the elk to us. So the, I know. Uh, which, uh, Oh, but I didn't realize that Isaac now has more career touchdowns than his dad did. So, well, when you have 12 in a year, it's easy yeah, to start making your way up lists. It's true. I though on this list, I think I've got to go. I'm, but then there's also Chris Smith. I did. I, this is the hardest one. This is um, a tough one, man. 
This you is a tough first. so I can cop out. I, I'm going to go Dennis Pitta. Call it recency, call it whatever you want. Uh, you know, Dennis Pitta at BYU was like a receiver, right? Like, obviously, he set receiving records. Dennis Pitta stuck around in the NFL because he figured out how to block. Like, he had that in him all along. And I love his story. He came to BYU as a walk-on, and he had to earn it every step of the way. I think that's phenomenal. So I'm going to pick Dennis Pitta. I think the right answer is probably Gordon Hudson, but I'm going to pick Dennis Pitta. It's either Gordon Hudson or um, – it's either Gordon Hudson or – Dennis Pitta and I think I'm definitely I think I'm going to take Dennis Pitta as well because like when he left he was BYU's all-time leading receiver and both in receptions and receiving yards and I think he wrote he set the NCAA record for receptions and yards by a tight end he I mean the diff Gordon Hudson has one more touchdown than him in his career Um, but really even he set that um, do I mean in 2013 he was named one of the NFL's top 100 players, and then he got that. Um, where was his contract? Do, do, do. He oh, got yeah, a big a, one. Yeah, so it, he got a five-year, 32 million dollar contract in 2014, and which at the time he was one of like the second or third highest paid tight end in the league. Like Man, you're talking like Gronk was, and in then the he tore up point. his, and then he tore up his hip twice and couldn't play anymore and so i i gotta go with pitta because he was the complete package not just like johnny harlan could not block right like that's why they're dan coats but dennis pitta could do everything and that's why he was able to play and got paid in the nfl here's why here's why it's dennis pitta for me and not gordon hudson is put dennis pitta on those 1983 84 teams and he still puts up gordon hudson numbers put Gordon Hudson with Max Hall, and I'm not sure he can compete with the speed of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's hard because it's like, had he grown up in a different era, like how would he even be sure. playing tight end? Like, would it change? Honestly, you know? yeah, and I think he's played offensive tackle if he grows up in a different right. era. But. Um, so, so I think tackles is a good call. Speaking of tackles. Our last five is the offensive line. We're getting one lineman. We're not going through all five positions here. John not Tate, Bart Oates, Trevor Maddich, Brady Christensen, or Big Mo Elawanibi? Brady Christensen being on this list is noteworthy in and of itself. Like, there's been some legends. Let's take a minute to really appreciate what Brady Christensen did. I mean, he was a consensus All-American, which is not something like BYU's had a lot of All-Americans. They have not had a lot of consensus All-Americans that are All-Americans by everybody. It's I think it's three out of the there's like three out of five or you have to make four out of five. It's not everybody, right. but there's it's, it's the majority yeah. of there's a set list of things that you can be on to be named consensus. And either way it was everybody, whether it was first, second or third team, everybody put Brady Christensen on one of their all American teams this year. Uh, what he did was special. I don't think he's going to, to get my vote here, but he absolutely deserves to be in the conversation. Brady Christensen uh, I think we all know how good he was, and yet I think he's still underappreciated because he was phenomenal, absolutely spectacular for BYU. And I feel like we need to talk about him a little, little bit more. And so I appreciate that he's in the in the group of five with these other legendary offensive linemen because he absolutely deserves it. Now, having said that, 
There, he's up against some stiff competition, man. John Tate, Bardotes, Trevor Maddich, Mo Elawanibi. That's th- those are studs. Like those are that's probably the Mount Rushmore of BYU's offensive line. Those are they had long NFL careers. Not long, like Mo. Mo had the shortest NFL career, but he went and played at the CFL for a while, and he ended up winning the most hardware while he was a, a, an offensive lineman at BYU. Uh, so it's hard to go wrong. I think I probably take, I probably go John Tate over Trevor Maddich, but it's really close for me. It, yeah. Cause I mean, well, Maddich obviously like was drafted in the first round. So was Tate. Tate was the highest drafted out of all of these and he should get bonus points because he is a graduate graduate of McClintock high school in Tempe, Arizona. Oh. Um, so, but <laughs> That said, Bar Oates of everyone on here, Bar Oates was a five-time Pro Bowler. That's true. And it's like what he did, and you know, he when did he get? I'm not sure what what round he was drafted in. Uh, he, he was, was back und- when they had like 30 rounds. Yes, and he went undrafted. So, I think as a college career, um, I don't think that's Bart, impressive. Oates, I mean, his brother Brad was drafted in the third round, and I've met them before. Their sister was in my ward growing up, and uh, like I'm friends with, like I know, um, well, I know Bart's son, um, well, but they and then obviously their nephews and nieces, but they, um, it's I think Bart we picture more of based on their college or their NFL career than what they did. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And so I think it's got to come down to Tate or Maddich. And I would say, I would say Tate just because he started every game for, he was a three-year starter and then left after his junior year, got drafted number 14 overall and played for a long time in the NFL. And I think both times. He did mostly play as a long snapper though. Once he got to the NFL, he kind of transitioned away from being a tackle. No. Did he not? No. Because he played tackle. You're thinking of somebody else. John Tate started almost every game that he played in the NFL. When he was with the Bears, he was still playing tackle? Yep. He started 139 of his 148 career games. And then it was an injury that ended up making him retire, yep. right? And so his, 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 yeah, his contract with the Bears was six years, $34 million. Well, I'm picking Tate. I think I'm picking Tate. I don't know enough about Mo Elowanibi. I really don't. Like, I know Outland. I know he was good. I... Mo I have to plead has ignorance the, there, man. Mo like, has the thing is he came from snow, so he only played for two guy for two years. Did he play for two years or did he come for just one and leave? Mm, he actually may have only played for one seat. I don't know that answer. I think I remember hearing that he only played I th- for one, but I don't know. He yeah, he may have only had uh he may have only had one. Um let's see here. Do, do, do. Um, no, he played, he played two. So junior in 88, senior in 89. Okay. Um, you know, and then went and played well in the NFL, you know, the CFL in the CFL. Um, so the, so so you ended up with Tate, right? I ended up with Tate. Okay. So Um, really the only difference in our teams is Luke Staley and margin hooks versus Harvey Younger and Austin Collin. Yeah. So you've got McMahon, Staley, Hooks, Pitta, Tate. I've got McMahon, Unga, Collie, Pitta, T. 
Tate. So tell us where we went wrong, folks, and, and who your GOAT offense would be. Uh, did we leave anybody off that should be on there? But I, I, I think we did pretty good. I mean, either way, I think we've got two really quality teams, and I think we did a pretty good job of identifying the correct candidates here. Yes, I think we have quality teams. We've got the correct candidates here. We could maybe even, you know, kind of towards the bottom end of it, you can maybe argue some substitutions of who should be on the list. But give us your top five and let us know. And then maybe if we get some good ones, we'll talk about it next week. Or if you send us a horrible one, we will roast you. So Yeah, we will. Either we will. way, if you can try to get make an appearance on the show, getting talked about. And Jeff, it's been a good show. Do you have anything else to any other words of wisdom to share with our faithful listeners? I don't. I, I have no wisdom to share with anybody. My meat grinder has inspired me to make a whole bunch of different types of meatloaf, but it's been snowing, so I haven't started yet. But I am grinding anything that will grind, and I am making meatloaf out of it because I want to see how it is. There you go. That's and it. That's all I got. And Jeff, with that give them hell and we will be back again next week and hopefully the lady cougs go into the second round of the ncaa tournament and we will be back with them let's go cougies give them hell